Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Thursday, August 18th, 2022. It's been 3,094 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 176 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth because the truth matters. Let's start with some assessment of the current status of the war. First, the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, and the 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, are combat ineffective. Second, Ukraine continues to destroy ammunition depots, troop positions, and military equipment deep in Russian-occupied territory. Third, Russian forces launched a series of punitive strikes on civilian targets in Mykolaiv, Zatoka, and Kharkiv, and we expect more attacks through the rest of the week. Finally, the battlefront is frozen across Ukraine. Let's take a look at our regional updates. We'll start in the Donbass region again with the slovyansk bilohorivka berestova Triangle. Members of the Kraken Battalion destroyed a Russian ammunition depot in Bilohorivka in Luhansk. The video was geolocated and weather-confirmed. There was limited fighting in northeast Donetsk, with Russian forces attempting to advance on Vesele, supported by the Russian Air Force from Bilohorivka in Donetsk. The advance was unsuccessful. After the failed Russian offensive, Ukrainian positions in Vesele were hit by a second airstrike. Ukrainian troops made an advance overnight and pushed into Bilohorivka. Russian forces attempted to maneuver to Vimka, but lacked the troop strength to advance across the open territory. On August 13th, we assessed there would be continued sporadic fighting in northeast Donetsk, but we didn't anticipate renewed significant combat operations. That assessment was tested this week. The 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, is combat ineffective and incapable of carrying out offensive operations, even with the support of Russian artillery. The destruction of the command center for the 2nd Army Corps in Lysychansk and the private military company, or PMC Wagner Group headquarters in Popozna, may have degraded decision-making capabilities. We maintain that any additional fighting in this region before mud season will be positional, spoiling attacks, and probes. To the south, forward progress of Russian forces toward Bakhmut and to finish collapsing the Svitlodarsk bulge has stalled out. There was no attempt to advance on Yakovlivka, 
with Russian forces shelling Ukrainian positions. Russian forces and their proxies tried to improve their positions within the Naufjips sheetrock factory in Solidar, but did not move the line of conflict. Russian forces also attempted to advance into Bakhmutska without success. Pro-Russian sources shared a video of the 6th Cossack Regiment near Solidar and described the unit as having made, quote, significant progress. The video was geolocated on the eastern edge of the area of contested control, 2.5 kilometers from the line of conflict. PMC Wagner Group, Russian Airborne VDV forces, and elements of the LNR 2nd Army Corps attempted to advance on Bakhmut from two directions without success. Russian forces and their proxies also attempted to advance on the T-5013 highway through Zaitseve, 10 kilometers southeast of Bakhmut, and were unsuccessful. In the Svetlodarsk bulge, PMC Wagner Group and LNR separatists attempted to advance on Kodema without success. Russian forces also attempted to advance on Zaitseve from Holyevsky and tried to capture the Mayorsk border crossing. Neither offensive was successful. Our assessment of Bakhmut is unchanged from August 9th, which we recapped on Tuesday's episode around minute 7 or 8. Let's move on to southwest Donetsk and western Zaporizhia. In our assessment, the elements of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR advancing toward Avdiivka has become combat ineffective. Significant fighting is limited to a small area south of Piski, across open territory from two small villages. The Russia-backed separatists of the DNR were able to advance from Spartak to the edge of Optin and are attempting to consolidate their gains. Fighting to reach the village of Nevelske has been intense. DNR used white phosphorus munitions on established Ukrainian positions. A platoon of Ukrainian troops was forced out of their defenses and came under heavy fire from mortars and light weapons, suffering heavy casualties. There is video, which some viewers may find disturbing. We link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. In our assessment, the defeat of the Ukrainian unit was complete as they retreated chaotically. The unit did show strong camaraderie and esprit de corps, with many casualties caused by soldiers attempting to reach wounded unit members. Elements of the DNR attempted to cross open territory from Lozova toward Pervomaisk and cross the Ukrainian positions along the E-50 ring road. They were unsuccessful. Switching to assessment for a moment, the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine reported that Ukrainian positions, quote, near Pisky were shelled. Based on this report, and a Russian attempt to reach Pervomaisky by bypassing Pisky, we maintain that Ukraine still has a toehold within or just outside Pisky. Russian forces used a UR-77 mine-clearing vehicle as an offensive weapon in Marinka. This technique was developed in Syria and used in Mariupol and Rubizhne in Luhansk. The geolocated video showed that the Russian advance into Marinka was overstated. The weapon was firing on Ukrainian positions at the base of the mining waste heap. We've adjusted the map based on the improved intelligence. The telegram channel Typical Donetsk shared a video clip of a fire in the Zdanovka area. Neither belligerent claimed there was an attack on the settlement, 
and there wasn't any open-source intelligence that provided more details. A railway bridge was hit by an apparent single HIMARS rocket in Makievka, destroying the tracks, the tunnel, and supports. Rail service has been suspended, impacting Russian ground lines of communication, also called G-locks, or supply lines. Russian-controlled Mantilimanovka was attacked by Ukraine. One person was killed in the strike. Local officials claim the attack was from rockets fired by HIMARS, but our assessment concluded the accuracy and damage are inconsistent. The pictures and videos indicate a potential Tachka-U short-range ballistic missile, or SRBM, strike. The photos don't support that secondary explosions caused the large crater, and there are no signs of ammunition cook-off or spot fires. A Russian ammunition depot in Amrosivka was destroyed by rockets fired from HIMARS. The initial blast shattered windows and damaged buildings up to 1.6 kilometers away. There were numerous secondary explosions as the depot burned out of control. In the southern part of the Donbass, fighting for control of Novobakhmutivka continued, with Ukrainian positions hit by artillery. Russian forces attempted an advance on Shevchenko and were unsuccessful. Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of Melitopol, said that Russian occupying forces had sealed the city and were forcing everyone to go through filtration. The city has been rocked by almost daily partisan attacks, including a series of explosions on August 17th. In Russian-controlled Kirillivka, Russian ammunition and military equipment reportedly exploded due to insurgent activity. Fedorov reported the Russian Ministry of Defense had relocated the ammunition and other resources further south due to attacks by HIMARS and increasing partisan activity. Our assessment for the region is the same as it was on August 17th. You'll find it around minutes 7 or 8 in yesterday's episode. Moving north, there were no reports of significant fighting around Kharkiv. Russian and Ukrainian forces fired artillery, rockets from MLRS, and used tanks for indirect fire across the line of conflict. Russian missiles hit an apartment building in the Saltiva district of Kharkiv. The building was destroyed in the attack, and there were significant casualties. The city was hit a second time in the Slobidsky district. A hostel was partially destroyed before sunrise. We'll have more information on this in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. Our assessment in Kharkiv is unchanged from August 12th. You can find it in last Friday's episode around minute 8 or 9. Russian forces didn't launch any offensive operations along the Azum axis, and the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine didn't report any advances made by Ukrainian troops. The attempted advance toward Novodimitrivka we reported on August 16th was unsuccessful. Ukraine and Russia traded sporadic drone-directed artillery fire and fire from tanks from Shepil, northwest of Izum, to Dolina. Our assessment of the Izum axis is unchanged from August 8th, which we recapped in Monday's episode around minute 14. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. 
Let's head to the Dnipro, Kherson, Mykolaiv, and Zaporizhia regions. In Kherson, Operational Command south of the Armed Forces of Ukraine and the General Staff reported conflicting information about Bilohirka on the Inulitz River bridgehead. The General Staff reported that Russian forces attempted to advance on the settlement and were unsuccessful. Operational Command South reported that a Russian ammunition depot in Bilohirka was destroyed. If a cache of Russian ammunition were in the settlement, it would indicate it was not under Ukrainian control. We've recoded the settlement as contested due to the fog of war. Pro-Russian sources didn't provide any additional insight. The Russian Air Force attacked Ukrainian positions in Bilohirka, Lozova, and Bilokrinitsia, and shelled Andreevka, indicating the Inulets River bridgehead is still intact. Russian and Ukrainian forces fired artillery and rockets from MLRS at their positions, with Russian forces concentrating in the regions north of Kherson. Insurgents in Kherson have launched a newspaper and put it in postal boxes under cover of darkness. Russian troops have set up more checkpoints within the city, restricting movement. Residents report that the occupying forces have become more belligerent and undisciplined. Some quick assessment. Reports of looting, drunkenness, and a lack of discipline support reports that senior officers have relocated to the east bank of the Dnipro. A breakdown in the chain of command and low morale would cause an occupying force to behave this way. Overall, our assessment of the situation in Kherson is unchanged from August 14th. You can find it in our Week in Review episode from this past Sunday. In Dnipro, Petrovsk, and Zaporizhia, the settlement of Nikopol was shelled overnight. A school was damaged and one woman was hospitalized. There has been no progress on efforts to demilitarize the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres arrived in Lviv for talks with Ukrainian and Turkish officials about the situation in Zaporizhia. Ukraine held a readiness exercise to test response capabilities to a chemical, biological, nuclear or radiological, or CBRN, incident. In the Cherniv and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that 176 artillery shells hit border towns on August 17th. We'll have more to say about this in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. Moving on to the Black Sea and Odessa region, on August 16th, we assessed that claims made by Russian state media about an attack at the naval airbase at Yardevsky was likely a disinformation campaign. Our assessment was correct, with satellite images revealing the base was undamaged. The main directorate of intelligence of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine reported that the Russian Navy pulled 24 aircraft and 12 helicopters stationed in Crimea further back from the line of conflict. The aircraft type wasn't identified, but the agency reported they had been moved to airfields within Russia. Our assessment here, we can't validate the report's veracity at this time, but we will do satellite image analysis. This is the third time Russia has had to withdraw air assets due to airfield attacks. The relocation will increase the time it will take for aircraft to reach their targets while burning more fuel. The extra flying time will increase maintenance, expose the aircraft to greater risk of being shot down, 
and reduce the time a pilot can remain over a target area. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky warned the residents of Crimea to stay away from Russian military installations, saying, quote, Every day and every night we see new reports of explosions on territory that is temporarily taken by the occupiers, and I am asking now all our people in Crimea, in other regions in the south of Ukraine, in occupied areas of Donbass and Kharkiv region, be very careful. End quote. Let's talk about what's been going on theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Croatia delivered 15 M46 130mm towed field guns to Ukraine. They were designed in 1946 using the 130mm design from World War II naval artillery pieces. The guns are obsolete with a low muzzle velocity and capable of penetrating modern armor. The M46 does have a range that matches more modern systems, reaching 27.5 kilometers with standard charges and up to 38 kilometers with rocket-assisted munitions. Norway is joining the growing coalition of NATO and Western militaries sending training units to the United Kingdom. The UK restarted a training program that provides an additional five weeks of military training in NATO tactics to Ukrainian soldiers. Before additional partners committed to adding resources, the program was capable of training 10,000 soldiers a month. Some quick assessment. Although Western militaries would consider a five-week supplemental training program insufficient, it is superior to the 7- to 14-day training that Russian volunteers receive. Ukrainian troops going through the program are being issued winter uniforms and supplies. The Republic of Bashkortostan in Russia fielded a volunteer battalion in compliance with the Kremlin's request for Russia's 85 regions to form volunteer units. Many districts are finding it challenging to recruit Russians willing to fight in Ukraine. Photos of the swearing-in and blessing ceremony showed a platoon-sized unit in mismatched and ill-fitting uniforms preparing to leave for Ukraine. Colonel Yuryevich Chiki, commander of air defenses for the DNR 1st Army Corps, was killed in action on August 12th. Chiki is the third command officer of the 1st Army Corps killed in action since June, and the second in the last two weeks. FSB Colonel Wanted War Criminal and Kremlin Pariah Igor Gurkin Strelkov reported that Chiki had fought for the DNR separatists since 2014 and revealed that his call sign was Koritz. The name Koritz represented a person of interest for Dutch prosecutors in their investigation into the downing of Malaysian Airlines Flight 17. The Boeing 777, with 283 passengers and 15 crew, was shot down on July 17, 2014, crashing near Robova in the Donetsk Oblast. The plane departed from Amsterdam bound for Kuala Lumpur with more than 190 Dutch citizens on board. All lives were lost when a Buk missile exploded just above the cockpit, killing the flight crew and causing the plane to break up midair. On June 17, 2021, in the Netherlands, prosecutors sought to address two questions in clarifying testimony, including the actions of those involved in the shootdown of MH17. In intercepted phone calls, Kuritz is identified as the third person with Strelkov and Oleg Pulitov. Strelkov was convicted in absentia for shooting down MH17 
but Yudievich Chiki was never fully identified until today. Rafael Grossi, Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency, said he's ready to lead the IAEA delegation to Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Grossi told Dmitry Kuleba, Ukraine's foreign minister, that he had accepted Kiev's invitation to assess the situation at the plant. Moscow remains unwilling to permit the IAEA delegation to visit the plant via Kiev. Our assessment? We believe the sticking point for the Kremlin is information and evidence gathered by the IAEA can't be censored and controlled by a delegation sent by Kiev. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead about three minutes. Video shared by Ukrainian, LNR, and DNR sources showed a man being taken into custody in Luhansk while attempting to pick up his child at kindergarten. The man was subjected to forced conscription and was struggling against being taken away. In some online groups in the LNR and DNR, the actions were condemned, while others dismissed the video as a fake. Serhii Haidai, the exiled Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that occupation forces were offering food to people in exchange for information on where men under 65 could be found in the region. He accused LNR separatists of rounding up Russian nationals who came to occupied Ukraine to fulfill critical service jobs left empty due to the ongoing roundup. In Sumy Oblast, a school and community center located in Studenok were damaged by a Russian artillery strike. Missile strikes in Kharkiv and Krasnorod left 11 civilians dead and 40 wounded. A Russian Iskander MSRBM hit a three-story apartment building in the Saltivsky district. Seven people were killed and 20 wounded. A second attack in the Slobitsky district hit a four-story hostel, killing two and wounding 18. Russian missiles crashed into Krasnorod before sunrise, killing two and wounding two more. One of the dead was a 12-year-old. Two Russian missiles struck the Black Sea State University in Mykolaiv, causing extensive damage. The university had been featured in a news story just days before the attack, showing preparation for fall classes, student registration, and orientation. The campus was closed at the time of the attack, and the on-site security guards were uninjured. In our August 16th Situation Report and our August 17th podcast, we assessed, quote, After the successful attacks in multiple locations against Russian command posts and ammunition depots, we anticipate punitive strikes on Ukrainian civilians before the end of the week, end quote. Our assessment was accurate and based on our observation of Russian tactics in Ukraine since 2014. The attacks on Kharkiv, Mykolaiv, and Zatoka targeted non-military targets. There is a continued risk of more punitive strikes on civilians through the rest of the week due to the visit of the United Nations Secretary General Guterres. The Russian Ministry of Defense has consistently launched punitive attacks after heads of state have visited the country on missions that defy Moscow's will. Donetsk People's Republic officials reported that less than 15% of Donetsk city residents have access to running water. 
Canada has pledged 450 million Canadian dollars in monetary assistance for Ukraine to purchase gas ahead of winter. In geopolitical news, Denis Pushilin, the self-appointed leader of the Donetsk People's Republic, told North Korean leader Kim Jong Un that the self-declared republic wants to develop quote equally beneficial bilateral cooperation. And in economic news. The ruble improved slightly, with an official exchange rate of 60 rubles to one U.S. dollar. Oil prices were steady, with WTI crude holding at $87 a barrel and Brent inching up to $93 a barrel. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline for spot market delivery declined to $2.97 a gallon, or 78 cents a liter. SRW Chicago wheat futures dropped to 77 cents a bushel for December 2022 delivery, reaching a post-war low. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.